giving you this mandate and I'm motivating that what I'm about to tell you that you need to do and who you need to be, it's so important that I'm appealing to the kingdom that you belong to. And he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. It'd been a legal term. It'd been like, hey, you were standing in front of the court and you have the witness of the judge himself listening as I say this to you because you can be sure this is what is most important for you. Remember the words of a dying man talking to a young man who he loved very much who is now being sent out into the rest of the world without him. He's not gonna be here anymore. So he's trying to prepare this man. I charge you. Now it is only effective for Paul to appeal to his kingdom expectation and loyalty if he actually has loyalty to that kingdom. You know, if I came to you and I said, hey, listen, here's something you need to do or something that you need to make important in your life or the uh, leader of Australia is gonna be very embarrassed. You're gonna be like, "Uh, (laughs) so what? What? What do I have to do with that place over there? I have no loyalties I have, I, have, I have no binding to a place over... No, no, no. The, the assumption is if you're part of the kingdom, you are expecting this kingdom to come and you have submitted your loyalties to this heavenly kingdom that is coming and is already and is coming that when the mandate comes from the kingdom, it is important and you listen. The world desperately needs the people who live with the kingdom of God's expectation and loyalty. They need to see someone that has a hope beyond the world. And Paul here is appealing to Timothy saying, I charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Then he says this about Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Jesus has been given all power. He's been given the gate, the keys to the gates. And actually it's Jesus who is going to judge everyone. Jesus is the one who is going to judge. And here's what I want to encourage you with a little bit before I make it more personal and more, more something that brings a somberness over us. You are going to, and we all are going to experience on planet earth, unfair things. We are going to see evil prevail. Evil seem to win. We're going to see righteousness seem to get squelched. The truth seemingly going to be end. And we're going to see evil rise and seemingly win. You see that in the hearts of all of the psalmists who felt like God had left them and all of the wicked people prosper. There's this constant reminder through scripture. God sees absolutely everything. And whatever it is that's happened to you that no one else has seen that you know is unfair and you have stayed true to the Lord you have kept your heart pure and you were seeking to follow him and you get no recognition for it. You get no justice for it. It seems God is promising that the justice and the recognition and the recompense and everything that needs to be made right is going to be made right. There is no one who gets away with it. I mean, I think of the world that we live in. The justice system is not perfect. There's a guy whose name is Pedro Alonso Lopez, killed over something like 300 different women. And he went in prison, but ended up getting out on good behavior. And as far as we know, he could still be alive. I mean, we look at what goes on and we're like, that is not justice, but everything's gonna be made right. He is going to judge the living and the dead and he's going to judge us as well. But that should encourage us not discourage us. It should encourage us because when we stand before him, if you know Jesus, you will pass through judgment. But also, everything that you suffered for on earth will be made right. The world needs to see people who leave, live with a kingdom expectation and loyalty, loyalty. And it says here, by his appearing and his kingdom. 
And that word appearing has the idea of almost like, hey, some, it's coming soon. And someone who is of great royalty is coming to your town. I mean, think about when you know you just have guests coming over soon. I mean, what do you do when you know like, oh, suddenly guests are coming to my house. I am getting things in order. Now, if you knew like someone of high status is coming to your house or to your town, there's a preparation. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of expectation. Listen, brother, sister, have we taken our eyes off the kingdom that we belong to? The kingdom we should be constantly expecting? The kingdom that we've given our loyalty to? Have we somehow forgotten that? If you read through the book of 2 Timothy, which I challenge you to do, it'll only take 10 minutes. Read through it. You know what you'll see throughout a common theme? You'll see Paul saying this to Timothy. He'll say something like this. I'm in prison. Don't be ashamed of that. Please don't be. But then he'll say this. Share in my sufferings. Multiple times. Timothy, share in my sufferings. The sufferings that I have on behalf of this kingdom. The sufferings that I have because of my loyalty to this kingdom. Share in my sufferings. That's not, that's not something we want to hear. If we're not careful, church, we are going to lose sight of the kingdom that will bring us suffering on this earth and we'll constantly try to avoid suffering. We'll constantly try to put ourselves in situations to not suffer for the sake of this kingdom. But we're told in the same book, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him, to tell him to keep going, to fan the gift that he has been given to continue to grow and to be ready to be used and don't even be afraid of the sufferings that might come your way because you love Jesus. Same thing for us. The world desperately needs to see people like that. They need to see there is a better kingdom than anyone that they can find on this earth. They need to see people who are expecting something good and real coming. They need to see people who are loyal to the real king. You'll shine in the midst of darkness The type of Christians the world desperately needs right now, look at the second one. The world needs to see Christians who preach the word. Look what he says here in verse two. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now this, this is a big one. I've got the written word of God. I really purposely wanted to make sure I was up here, not with my iPad, but I wanted to make sure, you know, that physical, like God's word has been written down and given to us. We're told all through the scripture that the word of God is powerful. Think about this. We're going through Genesis. What do we find out when God speaks? What does his word do? Everything is created. The word of God is so powerful that it creates our existence here and our brain that we're even using to reason through this exists because God spoke. And we're to look out every time and see the trees and see the creation and see everything around us and remember, hey, God's word did that. God spoke and it created that. What is it in your life that you've doubted God's word in? What is it in your life that you're like, man, I just, really, here's another Bible verse. Here's another sermon. Here's another passage. Here's another this, 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 this. I need something real. I had someone say to me one time and it broke my heart. Hey, listen, we're done with this biblical counseling thing. We need real help. My heart just broke. Because there's no help 
apart from the help that God gives us. Didn't we just learn in chapter three that God's word is profitable for everything that we need? We've been told that we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. I'm not talking about some, some uh, intellectual conglomeration of proverbs and uh, cool sayings that sound good and just kind of pump you up when you need it. I'm talking about the words of a living God who when he speaks, things create. That when he speaks, sees part. That when he speaks, he takes a young man and he uses him to kill a giant that no one else could stand up against. I'm talking about I'm talking about a God who comes and he turns rivers into red and he brings plagues and he causes the great kings of Egypt and whoever it is to literally die in his presence because they don't bow down to his word. I'm talking about the God who can use his word in a way to take dead people who have dead bones and who are dead in their sin and bring them to life and say, speak, rise. And those bones form flesh and they come together and they turn into a new creation. And God does this literally so that when he comes into our heart with his word and says that Jesus died for your sins, you must repent ask Jesus to forgive you. You can be saved in him. And you hear that word and you're cut to the heart and something happens. You know, man, I'm having a meeting with a God that I can't see. Something's happening in my heart. I never thought I'd respond to this word. And God's word comes in and it changes us. It makes us new. And it is the word of God that God uses through the spirit to do things that no medicine, no policy, no scheme of man could ever do. God, forgive us when we lack faith in your word. This is what we need. And the enemy wants you to turn to everything but this. That's why when you do try to turn to this, there's this deep chasm of temptation to be like, what's the point? Recognize that to be the enemy in the moment and recognize that to be the moment that you are closest to the thing that's gonna help you the most and he's trying to keep you away from it. That's why Paul says at the end of his life as he's dying, preach the word. Stick to that. But he doesn't just in there. He kind of tells how it should be done. Look what he says. Preach the word. And then he says this, be ready in season and out of season. Basically, that means you need to, the word ready, you're like a soldier. He's got his weapon and a shield and he is constantly alert, ready constantly ready for the command to act and to do warfare. This is part of what Paul has already encouraged him with because he said earlier in the book, he says this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He has always already used that terminology of a soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You preach the word, how do you do it? Well, you gotta always be ready to use God's words. It doesn't mean if you're at work, at home, whether you're in your bed, whether you're by yourself, whether you're with family, whether you're with coworkers, whether you're with brothers and sisters, we're always in a position when you be ready to preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient, all of these things. There's no time where we shouldn't be ready to use God's words because it is what is profitable. It is what will help. And then he says this, he gives three words Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. Let me help you understand these things. The first one is reprove. If you see up here, I have this. Reprove when someone doesn't know. Reproof, that word has something to do with the intellect. Someone's lacking knowledge. They're ignorant and maybe they're living in a certain way. And the reason they're living that way is because they simply do not know the right way. That person needs to be reproved in the moment. 
that has more of a gentleness with it. It's like, hey, listen, hey, you just don't know. Let me bring some knowledge to you from God's word that will help you understand. Hey, listen, there's moments always, because we're not all there, where we need reproof. We need someone to come alongside us and say, hey, you're doing that wrong. You're thinking wrong, and here's why. And it's like, oh, wait. And then you're encountered with the word of God. You're encountered with the truth, and you're changing things, and you grow a little bit. The word of God must be used in a certain way. There are times when we have to take the word of God and reprove someone with it. Hey, you don't know. Let me bring you the knowledge that you need. Rebuke is different though. Rebuke someone when, here, when they should know better. Rebuke is a little bit stronger word. It has more of like, hey, reproof is hitting the mind. Rebuke is hitting the heart. Rebuke is something where someone needs conviction. They should know better and they're living contrary to the ways of God and reproof isn't what they need. You reprove, you give someone the knowledge who already knows something, they're, they're going to be confused. Yeah, I already know that. Of course, I know that. Yeah. Because then they think in the moment, hey, all I need to know is no, and you told me that I know, and now I know, so we're good. No, the person is living wrong. They need to be rebuked. They need to be told, you're wrong. That is absolutely wrong. You know it. You should be convicted. You get on your knees and repent. Like, where, where in our life is the Spirit prompting us we know man, this is not right in my heart. Someone comes to you and rebukes you. What are you going to do in the moment? You're going to get mad or you're going to realize like, hey, this is what God's word is used for. It's supposed to confront me in these moments. And then look at the last one, exhort. The first two are kind of negative. The last one's positive. Exhorts when someone is discouraged. Exhortation is what you do when it's like, man, we need to get moving. Exhortation is like, hey, listen, I see God working in you. Hey, let's do this. This is what, let's do it together. Exhortation is the encouragement. It is the pushing. It is the admonishing that motivates us to live for the Lord. And we need all three of these. I think all of us know when we've experienced one of these out of line, right? When we've struggled with it ourselves, we're like, man, I'd rather exhort this person, but we know in our heart that person needs, that brother, that sister needs rebuke. But, but remember, all of that is in congruence with the word of God. It is the word of God that is coming alongside this, but it's still not done. How we preach the word of God is not done yet. Look at the final part. With complete patience and teaching. Now the word preach has the idea of like going out in the streets and heralding. You're screaming and you're trying to bring knowledge to people. You're, you're talking out loud. You're trying to go out into a public setting and let people know about the gospel. Go out and preach. But all of this that we do, one, we motivate and we know that the word is important, but all of this we do with complete patience and teaching, which means we don't give up on people, which means we don't get frustrated and strike the rock like Moses did, which means we are completely patient. And we are willing to spend as much time as we need to to go over the same thing over and over and over and over again. Maybe you guys have clued into something and maybe, maybe you're asking yourself the question, why are we looking at the, at the qualities of a pastor and he's talking to us as if we need to be doing these things? Shouldn't, past, shouldn't this be just for the pastors? Well, your pastors are given as your examples. Your pastors are the ones who are supposed to be leading in the way we should be living. So when Timothy is being told to have these qualities. They're for us all. Yeah, you may not get up on a stage and preach, but we're all commanded to preach. There's many areas of life where we are to preach, and this is what preaching the word, this, the thing that we preach is the word. How we do it is we reprove, we rebuke, and we exhort through prayer, 
asking God to lead us in it. And we're always completely gentle and patient with everyone. Because you know why? That's how God is with us. That's how God is. The world desperately needs to see Christians like this. You know what the world also needs to see, church? Christians who seek what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. This is a hard one. Seek what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Look what he says here. He says preach the word, but why? Why is it so necessary to stick to the word? Because he says this, verse three, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul is talking about the scenario. Like chapter three last week had to do a lot with like unbelievers looking out into the world and seeing something. When he gets to chapter four here and he gives this description of people turning away, leaving, having itching ears, heaping for themselves teachers, he's talking about those who would be among you in the church. Every single one of us, I think, can understand the allure of wanting to hear what we want to hear more so than what we need to hear. I want to show you a picture. Kids, look at this because you got it in your uh, book. What is that? Who here, who here loves to hear the alarm clock? Like, I mean, I can't sleep at night because I am so excited when my alarm clock goes off. Like sometimes, like through the day, I'm like drawing pictures of alarm clocks I'm thinking, sometimes I even set an alarm just so I can hear it in the middle of the day. It's wonderful. It feels great. It shoots into my heart and it kind of feels like a defibrillator. It's great. No, uh, you're crazy if you're like an alarm clock. I've even seen people who's like, you know what? Alarm clocks are so bad. I'm going to set my favorite song as an alarm clock. And you know what that person says? They end up just hating that song. Why? Why? Because that purpose is there to wake you up out of comfort, out of warmth, sooner than you want to be, onto something maybe you would rather not be doing, and that is always a catalyst that is bringing that jolt of frustration. Hey, in the same way, God's word is like an alarm clock. It's waking us up. Sometimes we'd rather stay in the comfort. Sometimes we'd rather stay under the warmth of the blanket. And God's word is waking us up. And just like we snooze an alarm, my wife's probably laughing right now because she knows I like to set multiple alarms because I love just being able to go back to sleep, right? If I'm asleep, I don't know the joy of sleeping. So I need to wake up so I can go back to sleep. I'm making fun of myself now because I realize how ridiculous it is. But the word is like an alarm clock. Let me ask you this, in your heart of hearts, church, what are you seeking? Do you seek the word of God that is a mirror that is always going to uncomfortably expose your heart? Do you seek it willingly? It's called light. Light shines in darkness and it exposes. That's why Jesus said, everyone who comes to the light come so their works could be exposed and it is shown and it is made clear that their works are being carried out by God. Men love darkness rather than light. And the word of God is shining constantly. And if we're not careful, we'll get really tired of the alarm clock. And we will begin to turn away from those who are telling us what we need to hear. We'll begin to go on the internet. 
will begin to take the unlimited myriad of choices we can find and heap for ourselves teachers who will say and affirm everything we already believe. And what did we learn last week? When we start to do that, that's a sign of an idol. I would rather hear someone that will tell me what I already believe than tell me what I need to hear. I want my ears scratched. And this is the warning to the church because times of difficulty come. And when the word of God gets up and we start to say it and it starts to confront us, it's giving us exactly what we need to hear. And it's a loving thing because it changes us onto a deeper and more vital and important relationship with the Lord. I tell you this, the world is already stuck in pursuing their passion. So it doesn't help when they see the church doing that. The world needs to see a people who are willing to hear what they need to hear and be changed by it. Because you know what that does? That's light for them. When I was in darkness, it truly was darkness. Even though I was doing what I wanted to do, I still knew in my heart I desperately needed something. And when I got around Christians and I saw they were willing to subject themselves to things that always was confronting them, I'm like, you're crazy. But then I was like, but that's right. And I'm like, that's what I need, but I don't know how to get it. I don't want anything to do with it. And so I'd run from it and God would chase me and I would say, leave me alone. And somehow I'd be under another preaching or another sermon or the scripture would somehow say it again. I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want that. I know I need it though. I know it's right. I know it is. It's exposing my heart, but I don't want it. Until one night I finally said, God, I don't want what you have for me, but, but if something's going to change, you got to do it because I can't because I'm just going to keep running. And you know what? He answered that prayer. He saved me. He changed my heart. Made me sensitive to this. I stopped running from it. Gave my heart to it and it changed my life. Oh, it was the best thing for me, though I thought it was the worst thing when I was running. It was the best thing that I needed. And yeah, there was band-aids being ripped off and there was confrontation and there was wickedness being exposed that I had to repent of, but it was the best thing for me. And I want others to experience that, don't you? We do. This is what we're here for. We get to be here for this. There are people stuck in darkness and we get to bring them the word of God. Trust, hey, we're going to plant the seeds. We're going to throw it out and we're going to trust it to the powerful God who speaks and makes plants rise up, brings life, and trust that our God's going to work if we preach his word. But we need to avoid, we need to avoid the temptation to only seek after things we want to hear. Many people are already doing that. People leave and they go off and they find what they want to hear, fueling their idols. Now let's keep moving. The world needs to see this as well. Desperately needs to see Christians who don't give up. Christians who don't give up. Look what he says in verse five. He says, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse six there, he's talking to a young man. He's talking to a young man who's right in the middle of the fire, right in the midst of the fierce times. He's an older man who's seeing him finally get out of the fierce times and go home to be with the Lord. He knows that soon. But he's talking to a young man that's right in the middle of it. And what does he tell him? He says this, as for you, always be sober-minded. That means clear headed. That means not like these people I just talked about before that are easily tossed and chase after their passions. Think clearly. Don't be deceived. It harkens back to being alert, staying alert. Always be sober-minded. And then he says this, endure suffering. Endure suffering. Those who are watching online, kids, all of us, listen. 
Life is going to be full of things that can hurt us and kill us. We have been afraid of this virus long enough. We are Christians. We put our life in the Lord's hand. We endure suffering. Part of that is going to be exposed to things like this. And we need to be willing to put our hands and our lives into the Lord's care. Yes, be smart. No one wants to get a virus. But it is time for us to be willing to suffer, suffer for something that matters. If I, if, I, if I remember right, Jesus said, the one who saves this life will lose it. We spend all of our energy and effort trying to save this body that's going to die anyway. A lot of people who are social distancing, staying home, still getting the virus, still dying. But the good news is the reality of those who are dying is far, far, far minimal. Church, we cannot be like the world. We need to show them that there's nothing to fear. Actually, it is the same book where Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. And why does Paul say that to Timothy? Because suffering is in the world. And we're going to always be tempted to shrink back. The church needs to be strengthened. And the church needs to be reminded that our death is even in the Lord's hand. And beautiful in his eyes are the death of his saints. Let's band together to show this world, hey, listen, there is no need to live in fear. Because there is a God who loves us and who will take care of us. And immediately I hear words like, well, you're saying to be flippant and not careful. We can still be careful. But many of us have been careful and still are getting sick. At the end of the day, we need to trust the Lord. Endure suffering because all the suffering that comes to you is going to be used as an opportunity for the enemy to discourage you and cause you to run away from the Lord. So exactly what was happening in the book of Job. God let me at him and I can bring suffering in his life and he'll curse you and leave you. And God said, okay, go ahead. But he's in my hands. He tells this young man, endure suffering. You're in the middle of it. And he says, do the work in evangelists. This is our, all of our job to take the good news and carry it out. Do that work. Fulfill your ministry. Don't give up. The world needs to see people who don't give up. And when you're suffering and when it's dark, your light shines brighter. Jesus becomes more real when people see us hurting and enduring. It means a whole lot more. So in a weird way, we can get excited that hard times are coming because then we get to show the purpose of our existence. So he says to the younger, stay the course. But there's also an example here in the older. The older, don't give up. Younger, stay the course. Older men and women exemplify faithfulness to the end. Look what Paul says. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is as come. I know I'm dying. It's right here. I can see it. I'm dying. He had his head cut off, we know from history, because of the faith. But look what he says. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the race. Finished the race, and I have kept the faith. The goal of every Christian is to not let anything in your life cause you to stop fighting the good fight against sin and against the enemies and the powers of darkness and to keep the faith that no matter what happens, In your life, you will never say God's not good and God's not real. That's what the enemy's constantly trying to get you to do. I've kept the faith and I've finished my race. And look what he says. 
almost with expectation and excitement that he maybe didn't have before because there was always that chance that maybe I could fall away and there's always that warning and that fear and that testing to always make sure you endure. But at the end of his life, Paul's like, I did all of these years and I'm here and I'm about to die. I did all of this. And look what he said. He said, I have finished the race, kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. You know, sometimes you read this and you think, well, Paul, is he saying that his salvation happened because he, he endured to the end? No, the endurance to the end proved to him that he was a child of God in the first place. That's like a great reminder for us. Like, hey, if I'm a child of God, I will endure to the end. That's why he also said in this book, God is able to keep that which he, you have committed. Trust God. He is going to bring you to the end. Have faith. God is going to work in you and he's going to bring you faithful to the end if you know him. So younger, stay the course. Young guys over here, I'm seeing even some kids. Kids, if you're looking at me, the greatest reason for life is to follow Jesus and everything that you experience in life is going to try to take you away from that. Stay the course. Older, do not give up. Exemplify faithfulness to the end. And we will both mutually encourage each other in this process as we don't give up. And finally, this, Christians, we need to be the type of people who can't wait to see their Savior. The world needs to see people who live with this expectation, who cannot wait to see the one who saved them. Look what he says here at the end. He said, the righteous Jordan will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Church, we have a savior who is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and where I am there, you may be also, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And you see throughout all of the New Testament, this expectation of the second coming of the Lord and the church was excited. Even, even we know from the Thessalonians that they maybe struggled and were so excited. They were like quitting their jobs and sitting on the hill, just waiting for the Lord to come back. And Paul had to be like, no, work still be done, but they're excited. And what do we know at the end when Jesus comes back? He's going to bring with him the victory that has already been secured for us. The victory that has already been given. Death does not have grip on us. Jesus is coming back. And if you know him, brother, sister, you have faith in him. You already have victory and you have promise of an eternal life and a better life and a life that is coming. It is to the end. But now faithful labor for the Lord who died for us and gave us everything. And that's worth working for. That is a good fight. Every other fight we make in life for money and for fame and for wealth and for status, all of that disappears when our breath is gone from our lungs and matters not. But the one thing that remains is the life that is given to the one who gave everything for us. If I'm worth dying for, he's worth living for. Church, are you expecting the, the coming of your Lord and your Savior? Do you believe it's coming? Do you know it's coming? Do you know it's imminent? People need to see that. We need to shine as lights in the midst of darkness and show people uh, a hope that is real and it is coming and it is alive and it is sure. And when he comes with it, he's going to bring the rewards of his storehouses for all of his children. And if you know him, that is promised to you. So I want to leave you with a few things. We're about to be done. Your motivation to follow the Lord needs to be based off what he's already done for you, not what you think you can get from him. He's given you everything if you believe in him. 
There's a, someone pays me to cut their grass and they say, I'm not going to pay you until you have cut every single inch and I'm going to come out and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to make sure all of it's cut and all of it's done. I'm going to be working like sweating and I'm going to be like, oh, I better make sure I get this right. And then he comes and he looks over the work and I get, that's not what we're talking about here. Now imagine someone's, someone says, yeah, here's a thousand dollars every week, every week. Uh, I didn't cut your grass. Oh, here's a thousand dollars. Uh, I still didn't cut your grass. Oh, here's a thousand dollars. Man, I, I love you. Love you so much. Man, I'm just, I'm in so much love with you. Like I gave my only son. Here's another thousand dollars. Stop giving me money. I'm not, here's a thousand dollars. I love you. Stop. What have I done for you? Here's a thousand dollars. I love you. Oh, I, I, can I just cut your grass? Like, like I'm going to go, I'm just, I'm just going to cut your grass. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to cut your grass. Oh, it's so good to me. It's another thousand dollars. That's just money. We get excited about that, but that's the grace of the Lord that has been poured out on us richly apart from anything that we've done. And he keeps giving it constantly and constantly and constantly. And so our work for him now should be motivated by what he's already done for you and for us. I want to encourage you with one other thing because I got to talk about this. Last night, my team lost. Jonathan's team won. Notre Dame took out number one, Clemson. Clemson, I know some of you don't like football, but you'll get the analogy. The Clemson Tigers have won 36 straight games in a row, and they have been ranked number one. They have won multiple championships in the last couple of years, and there's great confidence with my team. But last night, I saw the fighting Irish fight to the very end, double overtime, and take out the number one team. And I had to surrender to a team that I do respect. It was good to see some of my other friends here who are at the house watching the game as well, stick it in my face. But let me tell you this. That game was a nail biter to the end. It was fun, but I could not calm down. I was so anxious and so scared of my team losing. And sure enough, that fear came true. And I literally have like no skin or nails around. I probably have coronavirus because I was biting my nails so much. <laughs> there is no nail biting with the kingdom of God. There's no anxiousness with the kingdom that is coming. There is no uncertainty that the number one team is somehow going to be dethroned by some other team that's coming along. The kingdom of God is victorious and will be and has been and nothing will dethrone it. There is nothing but a calm assurance of a savior who has done it all. There's no nail biting in the kingdom of God. So if we spend time nail biting as Christians, somehow afraid that somehow we can lose, somehow we're going to be overtaken by the great rush of waters we see coming around us, or are we going to turn our eyes back again to the summit and trust the Lord and know that the victory is already his and we get to be a part of it? Let's pray. Our good and great father, God, strengthen your church today. Help us in the midst of darkness every single day, every single week we need to be reminded of this. And so we're going to do that with complete patience. We're going to always let ourselves be reminded of the gospel and the truth of who we are in you. And God, we're going to turn around in motivation and we're going to serve you knowing that you want to use us, knowing that we have an impact in the life. And I pray for some at church that God, you would root deep into the ground plants that are unmoved by the cares of this world and the tribulation of light so when the rocks and the thorns and the sun beats nothing moves nothing happens but fruit because you are in us and you are in helping us endure and you are keeping us through it all 
God, strengthen your church. Thank you for all that you do because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I believe we need to respond to that. Are you encouraged this morning? Is God's word brought once again watering and refreshing and encouragement and perhaps rebuke and reproof and all those things? Listen, we need to be who God has called us to be, to point every eye to Jesus who is coming again to make things right, to judge the living from the dead, to uphold his promises, to preserve everything that he has made a deposit on. I'm so excited to be that kind of church. So take that word to heart this morning. Let's be encouraged as we live out of this, as we come out of this place. Lord, help us to respond rightly to that word. Let faith arise this morning. All of creation and all of the earth make straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Oh yeah, Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner and wake up the saints. Let every nation shout out your fame. Shout it out this morning. Jesus is coming soon.
That when we went on vacation, we would wake up early, early in the morning. Not at like six o'clock or five o'clock. It would be like two thirty in the morning. I did not care about that alarm because I was so amped up for vacation. And we would drive. We would leave at two thirty in the morning. We would drive through every state from Pennsylvania down to Florida, so that we could get to Florida. And what was in Florida? Beaches. You know what's in on beaches in Florida? Warm water. Not cold water like Lake Michigan. Warm water, and you know what came with that warm water? Fun waves to play in. So much fun. I didn't care. I was ready to get on the road and drive the 18 to 20 hours it took to get there. I'll tell you what. There's coming really soon. Jesus says, "In this world, you're going to have you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world." And so, as trouble continues to ramp up, as we see it around us. We should be chilled with excitement because there is coming an alarm that's going to sound, and it's going to be a trumpet that every ear will hear that will declare the coming of our Lord Jesus. And so we should long for that. The love of Jesus and His coming should cause a paling in comparison to the trouble we are experiencing. If you don't know the love of Christ. We're inviting you down here this morning. Please don't leave without talking to us. If you're online, please contact us. Let us know that you're ready to hear about what the love of Christ really is and how it draws you into the eternal relationship and the promise of eternity with Him. Know this, church. We are so happy to see you today. Look forward to seeing you next week. You are loved. Have a wonderful week.